And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains that I will tell thee of. Thank you. you. May be seated. We are looking at a father's love today, looking in particular at Abraham's love for his son Isaac. Now, you know how I always lead with a joke, and I'm going to tell a joke today, and don't be offended by it. I'm going to pick on the current president because he's president. Um, I would have told the same joke for President Trump. I would have told it for George W. Bush and for President Obama. Probably not President Reagan. But anyway, uh, <laughs> President Biden is swimming off the beach in Delaware when he's caught by the undertow and he's pulled under. Three teenage boys are swimming nearby and they rush to his rescue. Well, once President Biden is safely on the beach, he thanks the boys for saving him and he asks what he can do for them. Well, the first teenage boy says, I would like an appointment to West Point. President Biden says, I'll see that you get it. The second teenage boy says, I want an appointment to the Naval Academy in Annapolis. President Biden replies, consider it done. The third teenage boy says, I want to be buried at Arlington National Cemetery. President Biden asks, why do you want to be buried at Arlington? The boy replies, because when my father finds out whose life I just saved, he's going to kill me. <laughs> Let's look at a father's love. First of all, I want to, okay, laugh a little bit longer. Now, you know very well, if I told that about President Trump, you'd been like, ooh, boo. Anyway. I want you to see, first of all, that Abraham loved his son. He loved his son. Abraham loved Isaac, and God knew it. God knew it. In fact, there is a principle in biblical interpretation. It's called the principle of first mention. And what this means is the first time a word is used in the Bible, it is significant. Now, it might be used many other times, but the first time it's used, pay attention. Well, I want you to know that Genesis chapter 22 and verse 2 is the first mention of the word love anywhere in the Bible. And so we know this is a significant occurrence of the word love. It's the first one in all the Bible. So Abraham loved Isaac, and God knew it. Well, I think we see the application there. Fathers are to love our children. We're not commanded to love them. We are created to love them. Now, we may not always like our children, let's be honest. We don't necessarily like some of the things they say. We may not like some of the things we do. So we don't always like our children, but we love them in a way that only a father can love. But like all else, we must not love them more than we love God. We must not love them more than we love God. Look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So we must not love our children more than we love God. God must be our first priority. God must be our first love. We must not allow our love or commitment to others to eclipse our love and commitment to him. So we see that Abraham loved his son. But secondly, I want you to see that Abraham listened to his sovereign. He listened to his sovereign. Now God told Abraham to sacrifice his only son Isaac. I read that there in verse 2. Now if you know anything about this family and this story, Isaac was the promised one. Isaac was the heir. He had been born to the previously barren Abraham and Sarah in their old age. And now Abraham's supposed to sacrifice this son. And another pregnancy was unlikely to occur. Again, both Abraham and Sarah were very old. 
And so this was a one in a billion thing that Isaac was born. It's not likely that it would happen again. Well, unbeknownst to Abraham, Isaac would provide the bloodline to Christ. Abraham didn't know this. But we know, looking back, that Isaac would provide the bloodline to Christ, and yet Abraham here is being told to sacrifice Isaac. Now, Abraham knew he would be a global blessing. God told him in Genesis 12, and God called Abram, he said, I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curses you, and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And so Abraham knew that he would be a global blessing somehow. But he didn't know how he was going to be a global blessing. But we know. Because through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so on, we get Jesus. And Jesus has certainly been a blessing to the whole world. Well, I want you to know that Abraham offered Isaac in faith. He offered Isaac in faith. The writer of Hebrews picks up on this in Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 17. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from where also he received him in a figure. And so Abraham was going to offer Isaac, and he did so in faith. Faith that God would somehow stop the sacrifice, or faith that God would resurrect Isaac, even if he went through with the sacrifice, and, and Isaac is laying there dead as an offering to God. Abraham believed somehow. God would bring him back to life. But what's really important for us as Christians, we also see a picture of God's sacrifice for us here. Notice that the father, Abraham, he offers his only son. He doesn't offer one of many. He's only got one. He offers his only son. Also, if you notice in verse 4, there's a three-day journey. So when Abraham takes Isaac and they leave to go to the sacrifice, it's a three-day journey. Well, Abraham knew what was at the end of that journey... He knew it was a sacrifice. He knew he was going to kill his son. And so essentially for three days, Isaac was dead to Abraham. And then where did the sacrifice take place? On Mount Moriah. And in the New Testament, Mount Moriah is called Golgotha or Calvary. So think about that. You've got the father offering his only son. He's dead to his father for three days. And it all happens on Calvary. Does that sound at all familiar to you as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? Abraham, in that spot, because Isaac asked him, he said, well, I see the wood and I see the fire, but where's the ram for sacrifice? Where's the animal? And Abraham says, God will provide himself a lamb. In fact, Abraham names that place, God will provide. And Abraham literally says, God himself will provide a lamb. God himself will provide the lamb. And the lamb would be none other than God himself. Later on when Jesus shows up, a couple thousand years after this, John the Baptist sees Jesus walking by. He says, Then the next day John sees Jesus coming unto him and says, Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so Abraham said, God himself will provide a lamb, and the lamb would be none other than God himself. And the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, was offered on that cruel Roman cross to pay for the sins of all who would believe. So Abraham not only loved his son, he loved his sovereign. He loved his sovereign. And Jesus linked love and obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, do what I say. He linked the two of those. Well, Abraham obeyed God and proved that as much as he loved Isaac, 
he loved God even more. And God took note of Abraham's faithfulness. In fact, look down here in chapter 22 and verse 12. God stops the sacrifice and he said, Lay not your hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And so Abraham's willing to go through with this sacrifice in faith. And God takes note of Abraham's faith. So Abraham, the father, was to make a sacrifice of his only son. And we fathers, we make other sacrifices as well. Maybe nothing like that, like our own children, but we make other sacrifices as well. When you think about it, Abraham spent time, he spent resources, he spent grief obeying God. And can you imagine if the sacrifice had gone through? And Abraham sacrificed Isaac there, and then he goes back home to Sarah, and Sarah says, Hey, Abraham, been, you know, been missing you for a few days. Uh, where's Isaac? Is he outside playing? Or what's, where's Isaac doing? And Abraham said, Well, about that. About that. And then... You know, Abraham would talk about how oh, he has this great faith in God and God is so wonderful and God has blessed him so much. And Sarah's just saying, where's Isaac? Where's Isaac? Where's Isaac? And don't forget, Sarah, Abraham would say just how, how we've been enriched by God. And just, where's Isaac? And then he tells her. Now remember, she only has this one child and in her old age, not likely to have any more, can you imagine what Sarah would say? You did what with my only son? Wait, say that again. I, I, I don't think I heard that. You did what? You sacrificed him to God? Well, we fathers don't make sacrifices like that, but we do make other sacrifices. You see, it's not always easy being a godly dad. Sometimes you have to tell your children no. No to movies. No to music. No to parties. And you must lead your family in worship. Make them go to church. You've heard this. It's not original with me, but I grew up with a drug problem. My parents drugged me to church Sunday morning. They drugged me to church Sunday night. They drugged me to church on Wednesday night. I grew up with a drug problem. Dad's giving me a confused look right now. He's like, what? What did I do? I didn't always want to go to church. They made me go. He made me go. Even when you're on vacation. Even when you're on vacation, go to church. I always catch flack for that when we're on vacation. I love to go to church. I do. I love to go to church here, but I love to go see how other Christians do because we all believe in the same Jesus, but you know, every, every church has a different way of expressing it, and I enjoy that. But sometimes when my family's on vacation, they just want to vacate. I want to go to church. You know where we are on Sunday mornings on vacation? In church. I haven't tackled Sunday school yet when we're visiting, but I, I definitely we're in church. Not only must you lead your family in worship, dads, you must lead your family in godliness. You must lead your family in holiness. So we see Abraham loved his son. We see Abraham listened to his sovereign. And then thirdly, I want you to see that Abraham looked for a city. He looked for a city. Now, this is not in the passage, Genesis 22, but the writer of Hebrews picks up on this in Hebrews 11.10. He says, talking about Abraham, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham and all the Old Testament saints inherently knew there was something more beyond this life. They didn't know what it was. It wasn't revealed in the Old Testament, but they knew this can't be all there is. There must be something else. 
We as New Testament Christians, we can read about heaven. Streets are paved with gold and all of that. They didn't have that. But they knew there was something more. They knew God had a reward special for them. Quite blindly, they were seeking for heaven. Well, not only do fathers want to go to heaven, we want our children to go to heaven too. We don't want to be the only ones there, just a bunch of dads sitting around watching sports. We want our kids to be there too with us in heaven. So a father's responsibility is to prepare our children to go to heaven. We have a responsibility, a biblical responsibility to prepare prepare our children to go to heaven. The father's responsibility is to prepare our children to receive salvation to spend eternity in heaven. Let me show you where that responsibility comes in. It's Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Paul writes, And you fathers, notice he doesn't say mothers, grandmothers, grandfathers, cousins, aunts, uncles, and you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So the father's responsibility is to prepare our children to receive salvation to spend eternity in heaven. And what's the first thing that Paul says here? First thing, don't provoke your children. Don't provoke them. Now that word provoke means to irritate beyond measure. Dads can be irritating, yeah. But to irritate beyond measure. We are not to exasperate our children with our leadership, being too stern and demanding, or failing to temper our leadership with grace and mercy. Not only that, we are not to lead our children into God's wrath by our example. Setting such a poor example that they reject the faith or setting no example causing them to be ignorant of the faith. I don't watch Jeopardy but I saw on the news or I heard on the news on Friday. It was Final Jeopardy. I think that's the thing where you have all your money and you bet so much and you you try to win. And so the, the contestants made their bets and the question was this. It was in a religious column and it says complete this phrase. Our Father, which art in heaven, blank. Our Father, which art in heaven, blank. Fill in the blank. Every, yes, every contestant lost. They didn't know something that's just the simplest for us as Christians, somebody that's been raised in the church, even if you're not a believer in Christ, you know our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know that. They didn't know it. They clearly did not have the right kind of example. They didn't have a dad who raised them in the faith. And so we're not to provoke. But secondly, we're to raise them in the faith. The the word Paul uses, bring them up. That means to nourish fully. The whole time there are children and nourishing the whole person. Nourishing them with physical aspects of the faith like morality, prayer, going to church, spiritual aspects of the faith like faith, hope and forgiveness, emotional aspects of the faith such as love and acceptance. Nourish the whole time their children and nourish the whole person. We must nurture our children in the faith. To nurture means to instruct or to discipline. We need to provide our children with spiritual instruction. We instruct first of all by our godly example. Model the heavenly father to your children. That's exactly what Jesus did. Look here in John 14, 9. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus said, Look, look at me. This is what God is. Well, we're not Jesus, dads. I get that. But we certainly ought to be modeling the Heavenly Father to our children. Many have difficulty relating to a Heavenly Father when their earthly father set such a poor example. 
here's a couple things about God. God is faithful. God is consistent. And God is chastising. That means he's punishing. God is faithful. God is consistent. And God is chastising. So dads, be faithful. Be faithful to your wife and to your family. Be faithful attending church, reading your Bible, praying. Let your children see and hear you reading the Bible and praying. Be faithful. Be consistent. The way you act at church is the way you should act everywhere else. You shouldn't have a church behavior and then an everywhere else behavior. Act the same way. Be consistent. Because you teach more by how you live than by what you say. And our children will grow up to act just like we do. Do you want your children to act like you? I mean, maybe you do. Maybe you're like, well, I am a sterling. I'm a perfect example. This is how I want my kids to, to behave when they grow up. But remember, our children will grow up to act just like we do. So be faithful, be consistent, and be chastening. Discipline your children for their ungodly behavior. Every child's going to have some ungodly behavior. Discipline them for that. And remember, God chastens those whom he loves. Look at Proverbs 3.12. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, even as a father, the son in whom he delights. God chastens those he loves. Chastening shows that we love our children. A lack of discipline shows a lack of love. And never forget this verse, that as a child I hated, Proverbs 13.24, he that spares his rod hates his son. I hated that. But he that loves him chastens him betimes. And then lastly, we are to admonish our children in the faith. That word admonish means to instruct, to warn. And so let's teach our kids about God. Look for teachable moments. When you're outside, uh, take a creation walk. Uh, talk about, you know, the, uh, talk about the sky. Talk about the clouds. Talk about the trees. Don't talk about trees. Don't talk about trees. I don't want you to talk about trees. Talk about the grass. Why do you think that's funny? It's not funny. But anyway, talk about those things. Talk about creation, where it came from. Before you have to discipline your child, explain to them, you know why I'm doing this? I love you. And the Bible instructs me to do this. Teach them about rainbows. You probably know, I hope you know, the rainbow is not all about gays and lesbians. The rainbow is a promise that God gave us after he destroyed the earth with water. He said, I'll never do it again. Now, about three weeks ago on a Sunday night, I answered my own challenge to redeem the rainbow. And to redeem the rainbow means to take the rainbow back. And I didn't know exactly what I was going to do, but I was listening to Chris Plant on Friday, of all people, and it came to me. And so Debbie... Amanda and I are working together. You'll be seeing this not only on the screen, but I hope you'll be seeing it in flags and T-shirts and bumper stickers. But I'll save, what it, I'll save what all that is for later. But again, our children need to know the rainbow doesn't mean be gay. It's a promise from God. Teach your children these things. Encourage them in the faith. Tell them how God has changed your life. Tell them how knowing God has been a blessing to you. Begin sharing your faith at home. We're real good about sending off missionaries, sending money to missionaries. We have missionaries right now in South Dakota, and that's great. I'm not knocking that at all. But what I'm saying is it's fine that you go way off somewhere to tell somebody about Jesus. You need to start within the four walls of your own house telling people about Jesus, your own children, your own family. But that word admonish not only means to instruct, but it also means to warn. 
And so warn your children. Warn them about the enemy and his methods, how he uses evolution and peer pressure and worldliness. Warn them about the consequences of their ungodly behavior. Not only will God chasten them, but so will you, Dad. But most importantly, warn them about exiting this life without knowing Jesus Christ in a personal way. The gravest mistake anybody can make is to leave this life to die without knowing Christ, without believing that Jesus died on the cross to pay for their sins, that Jesus was buried for their sins, and the third day Jesus rose again from the dead. This is the most dangerous thing to leave this life without Christ. Warn your children how dangerous that is. And so we see that Abraham loved his son. We see that Abraham listened to his sovereign. And we see that Abraham looked for a city. Again, we love our children. Just as Abraham loved his son. We listen to our sovereign. We listen to God. And also Abraham looked for a city. We want to be in heaven. We want our children to be in heaven. And so we have instructions from the scriptures to prepare us for that. But let me ask you this. Will doing all of this guarantee that your children will be saved? In doing all this, does that guarantee that your children will spend eternity in heaven? Is there such a guarantee? No. Why? Because that's between your child and God. Okay. And, and you can influence, you can encourage, you can instruct, you can lead... But when it comes down to it, it's that child and God. That's their business. You have your own relationship with God. They have to have their own relationship with God. And so if you do all these things, it's no guarantee that they'll be saved, that they will spend eternity in heaven. But does it guarantee anything? Yes, it does. It guarantees, number one, that you've been obedient to God. If you do these things that the Scriptures say, as a dad should do, it guarantees you've been obedient to God. It guarantees, secondly, that you have shown them the way. Now, are you supposed to show them the way just when they're little? No. Are you just supposed to show them the way until you die? No. You show them the way until they die, until your children die. Hold up, Brother Gary. Wait, say that again. Do I just lead them when they're little? No. Do I just lead them until I die? No. You lead them until they die. You see, dads leave even beyond our graves. The example that we have set in life, even when we die, our kids still remember that. We are to leave a legacy of faith such that from the grave we can still lead our children. I've learned a lot from my dad. I've learned a lot about life. I've learned a lot about faith. Now, Dad, of course, is still with us all. But he and I both know that one day he won't be here anymore. But he will continue to leave even from his grave. So, Dad, since there's no guarantee that your child is going to be in heaven, but there is a guarantee that you've been obedient and that you've shown them the way, is there anything you can cling to today, Dad? Yes, there is. It is this precious promise from Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he'll not depart from it. You might be sitting here and saying, Brother Gary, I've done that. My children are old now. They have their own children. They have their own grandchildren. And they're still not following in the faith. I raised them in the church. I raised them in the faith. 
But let me give you a little bit of information about this verse. When it says when he's old, that word in the Hebrew literally means when he's mature. Now we all know when it comes to physical maturity, different people mature at different rates. Well, the same is true spiritually. Different people mature spiritually at different rates. This is a promise from God, which means you may be long gone, long gone, Dad, until your children finally mature spiritually and get right with God. But you can cling to this, cling to this promise throughout your life, even if you don't ever see it. Know that you have a promise from God who cannot lie. And he says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he matures, he will not depart from it. So we see Abraham loved God. He loved his son. He listened to his sovereign. And he looked for a city. That's just like us. We love our children, dads, right? We love our children. We listen to our sovereign. We're all looking for a city. We know that city. We know it's heaven. But we don't just want to be there ourselves. We want our kids to be there too. And so we can do all that the Bible says we are to do. And while that doesn't guarantee they'll be there, it prepares the way. And God does, if you read the scriptures, you see God tends to save along family lines. And so we've got a godly father who leads his family in a godly fashion, it is very likely his children will grow up to live godly lives and lead godly families as well. No guarantee, but cling to this promise. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. The invitation this morning is very clear. Whether you're a mom, a dad, a kid, whatever you are, receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. The most dangerous thing anybody does is leaving this world without Christ. So believe that Jesus died for your sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. And then dads, you've been challenged today. And by the way, I'm a dad too. I've been challenged too. And while our kids are out of the house, and maybe yours are too, I have left them a legacy of faith. And even one day when I die, I intend to lead in that legacy of faith beyond the grave. And may you, dads, do the same as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this great example that Abraham gave us. And we've been challenged, Lord, as dads, to live godly, holy lives. But more importantly than that, if there's anyone who needs to receive Christ as Savior, give them grace and faith to believe right here, right now, today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing our last hymn on.